Support for Pivot comes from Vanta. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated fast. Now, you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, and that platform is Vanta. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, you can save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. To learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews, watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash pivot. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash pivot to watch Vanta's on-demand demo. Support for the show comes from Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync, so even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account so ambitious companies have the precision control and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. Oh, you're quiet. Why are you quiet? Did you have a relaxing weekend? Yeah, I had a, I had a nice weekend. I was with my boys on a boat. And whenever you're on a boat, you feel like you should do an ad for some sort of cryptocurrency. Because yeah. <laughs> clearly being on a boat means you're smart and very successful. But it was fun. We like, went. This is a nice boat. This wasn't a rowboat like I own, correct? Uh, yes, it was a very nice boat. But we went spearfishing and mm-hmm. we did a bunch of stuff on water vehicles and all the kinds of things I could slip and break a hip doing that I do Nice. as an older father to try mm-hmm. and try and bond with my sons. But yeah, yeah. it was really... It was really, anyway, it was lovely. What'd you do? Uh, I spent the weekend with the golden child and we were stopped many times on the street. She was, she, people were like, is this the golden child? You have made it. People a, would a, say that. They would yeah, say, is this the golden child? It's crazy how many times I'm getting stopped now and here in San Francisco all the time. I'm in San That's Francisco. Nice. Yeah. I like that. I like it when people stop. Yeah. They're always friendly. Yep, I was nice. with I Alex I like and it. Clara recently and they're like, oh, it's Gigantor and the Golden Child. They're like, they're like characters in our. <laughs> in our. That's um, funny. Uh, speaking of characters, can we recall when you took me on a boating expedition? What happened? Where did we end up? Make America Florida and Trump flags <laughs> everywhere. That Wasn't that hilarious? Oh, my God. I literally was, was like, I can't even. I can't even. It was not hilarious. You're like, you're like, I'm not going in the water. And I'm like, no one asked you to go in the water. No, Although I never I have go a in the water. Picture. I'm like a cat. I'm like a cat. It's not because of the yeah, Trump people. I'm I not a big water person but anymore. But literally, you know, we went the water. slap into a, like one of those boat rallies. It was quite active. People were having a good time. They're running around yeah. with their flags and stuff. You know what? What You know what I say? Let Florida be Florida. Just like they should let everybody else be what they are. Thank you. Yeah. I that guess. is my speech. Um, speaking of TED Talks, there was one by Elon Musk, as you know. Anyway, we'll talk about Apple unions, online shopping, and what CNN Plus launch means for the streaming market. And we'll speak with Puck's William D. Cohen about why he thinks Elon will buy Twitter, which a lot of people do, even though you do not. I have to say, mm-hmm. there's a there's a movement afoot saying there are no other, there, there can only be only one, and there is only one. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, let's catch up on where Elon's Twitter bid is now. This is our first big story, so let's do it. On Friday, Twitter's board adopted a poison pill to fend off Elon's bid. A lot of people don't like it. It's not shareholder friendly. Under the plan, Twitter's stock will dilute if Elon or any buyer requires 15% of the company's shares. Many think it's anti-shareholder uh, and, and an entrenchment of current management mm-hmm. and board. 
Elon took the news exactly how he'd expected. He tweeted a critique of the board and said their opinion doesn't matter because of their low number of shares, which is often the case with boards. He also hinted there may be other potential bidders. And of course, all of a sudden, stories all over the place that he was joining with people. And I, on, on a quick call, a lot of the people I thought might be against him or for him and might be joining with him. I'm not going to say names, but it's the ones you would imagine. Anyway, these are hedge fund and um, mm-hmm. and private equity people. Of course, I think you've been talking to people, Scott, would be my guess. So mm-hmm. weigh in on, on this idea of this poison pill, et cetera. So as someone who was in a past life an activist investor, poison you don't like poison pills. It's typically thought of as one of the weapons of mass entrenchment. I remember right. when I was on the board of Gateway Computer. By the way, I acknowledge a very weak flex. Yes, it was. I was going to say nothing. People were aggregating shares. The company was... So if you go back 25 years, there was a debate on whether it would be Dell or Gateway, and they were yeah. both trading at the same price. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dell, better strategy. They went SMB. We went consumer. We yeah. actually had stores. We mm-hmm. Imagine an Apple store, but if it was nothing like an Apple store. Yes, I recall. And a lot of poor execution. And Ted Wade, who was a visionary, but the company just didn't do – company ended up going from 76 bucks a share. And then when I got involved, I think it was at 2 bucks a share. Yeah. And I went in and said, we need to sell this thing right away. And they said, okay, okay, smart ass. We've been trying to sell a thing for two years. Sit down. Mm-hmm. And people started acquiring shares. And one individual started acquiring shares, including the person who was backing my adventures and activism. And the chairman of the board at that time, a guy named Rick Snyder, who went on to be the governor of Michigan, said we should put in place a poison pill. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's just a weapon of mass entrenchment. Explain what a poison pill – like how – this is to – in order to not let people acquire too many shares, it was during Green Mail days and yeah. the and the Carl Icahn, those kind of things. So it's basically meant. It, it was invented by I don't know the guy, a lawyer in New York who was on the board of NYU. I forget his name. It essentially blocks anyone from acquiring more than a certain stake because what happens is once they hit a certain threshold, in this case 15%, mm-hmm. the other shareholders are offered shares at a discount, thereby diluting that stake, that 15% stake that triggered it weighed down. They flood the, they flood the zone with shares. Yeah, it bas- it, but it, the net effect is it blocks you from acquiring more than that threshold. Right. Um, and what I... Well, I usually have an adverse reaction to them because my my feeling is if you're willing to show up and continue to buy more shares mm-hmm. and push the price up, that in the short run is bad for shareholder value. So the reason why Twitter stock is 20% below his offer price is one, I don't think people believe he can actually raise the money. And two, when you put in a poison pill, it does kind of block them from acquiring the company. Now, yeah. Or or it moves it to it moves sort of a standstill so they can negotiate with him. That's another reason people do it to like slow things down. Well, that's what I remember uh, the chairman of our board, Rick Sainer, saying. You know, if they want to come in, they have to come in through the front door. And I'm like, yeah. oh, the front yeah. door. I, what does that mean? Deal with someone who doesn't own any shares, <laughs> i.e., you. And uh, also to Elon's credit, a really fair criticism mm-hmm. is accountability should be linked to ownership. Yes. And this board doesn't own a lot of shares. No, I mean, nor do they use Twitter a lot, just FYI. And that is that is a really telling sign that maybe they're not great fiduciaries for other mm-hmm. shareholders or their users when they don't use it and they don't own shares. I've always thought that every dollar you get in compensation on the board should be reinvested in stock in the company such That's that you really can put yourself idea. in the shoes in the shoes of shareholders, at least to a certain extent, uh, because some board members don't have a lot of money and they yeah. can't come in and buy millions, but they should right. at least put their fees back into the yep. back yep. into the company. But it, what you have here is, so I've been, I'm telling you, Kara, 
the world of alternative investments and hedge funds is a flutter mm -hmm. with this deal. I'm getting calls from probably a lot of the same people you're getting mm -hmm. calls from saying, what do you think is going on here? Should we finance this Is he bid? serious? Is he serious is the question I'm getting. Well, that's the thing. Morgan is he crazy? Stanley. There's a lot of Morgan, is he crazy. You know him, that kind of thing. Morgan Stanley is out there mm -hmm. trying to put together the capital for this thing. Mm -hmm. And the question is, is Morgan Stanley had honey poured on them and been sent hunting for bears? Is this mm -hmm. just a fool's errand? Right. And someone, I think Matt Levine, who I continue to believe is just this incredible writer, has basically said it's very hard to deal with someone when you don't know whether it's a joke or not. Mm -hmm. You don't know whether it's a joke. And I also yeah. think there are potentially people lining up to come in and be the blocking move of the white knight. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Vanguard is now a larger shareholder. They mm -hmm. might be on management side. If Twitter can find another 10% shareholder to come in and not be in favor of the deal, they're fine. They're, they're probably – Elon's not going to be able to do the deal. What's their take? What's the one that wants to go up against Elon? Ooh, this is a choice target. Although, looking at the business, it's not such a choice target, right? It, it, it's Explicitly, it could be, certainly. I think people look at the influence and the position it commands and yeah. says, okay, you have one of the one of the a handful of social media networks that has global influence. Yeah. And it trades at a fraction of the value of anything else of that influence in mm -hmm. social media. Right. And if it can trade at 76 bucks nine months ago, it's just they likely it's it going to trade back there again. Yeah. And so, but the but the terms I've heard from mm -hmm. people who are contemplating investing in this behind right. Musk, they want their pound of flesh. And that From goes him. to the next point. And the reason why I don't think this happened, because people, I don't think people are, are sketching out the, what I'll call the second order effects. They're like, let's talk about a few things. Let's talk about what happens when this private company has a preferred convertible, uh, some sort of preferred instrument or debt that wants 12% a year. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking about expensive debt. People look at this and go, okay, Elon, if we're going to back you. Yeah, and right now. Debt's a big deal right now with the interest rates, but go ahead. And then what happens? This is the other question I have. How do you raise money when you mm -hmm. have said publicly, this isn't about money, it's about free speech? Yeah. I don't think people are going to spend billions of dollars to fund your misadventures in free speech. I think that's the most pertinent point. I think this is not about money for Elon. I don't think he, he If he wants to make a killing, he could do it in 10 to 12 other places so quickly. And, and he does build substantive companies. And so- um, and I think that's where his real interest is for the real wealth. Whatever you think of Tesla stock, what he's doing is a massive thing and has a massive opportunity. Here, the opportunity is dicier than even Tesla, if you think about it. Like it's Tesla is oh. such a complex product. Um, but, this but, is but a this, this is a difficult product. But that's that's the other second order. There's two other second order effects, and we'll come back to Tesla. But the first, mm -hmm. the, the next second order effect. What happens to the employee base the day they close? Yeah. Because I'm going to argue that the people there, mm -hmm. as it relates to their view of First Amendment or censorship or free speech, they have decided whatever Twitter's doing is kind of where they're down with. There yeah. aren't They aren't doing walkouts. Yeah. And they're saying, okay, this guy's coming in with this new vision of censorship, and all he's said is this isn't about money. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb here and mm -hmm. assume that a large number of people at Twitter are there for the money, uh, yeah. that they're there to make a living. Well, yeah, and I think they also feel like they're under siege. 
um, with this guy because he keeps insulting them. You all suck is essentially his message. I've lost confidence in management after saying I liked them a week ago. Yeah, management, you're not running it right. You're not doing it right. And that's, of course, a normal thing. But in this case, he's he's more influential. Whatever he says matters a lot more. And they don't, you know, I think they don't, you've seen them pop up in on Twitter quite a bit. And they're you don't see that often. They're like, fuck this, like essentially. Mm. Um, I think that's one of the things. They also, what's what's really funny about the poison pill, it adds up, Matt Levine was pointing out, it adds up to 420. <laughs> mm-hmm. it also, they're making a little wee joke back at Elon, which is kind of cute. Um, and, and, and what it will do, just for people to understand, this will slow Elon down. It will not stop him, correct? This is, right? Yeah, but you know it'll stop him? What? He's going to find another shining toy. He's like a cat chasing a red dot. You think... You keep saying that. This is a toy to him. This is shiny. He's not going to hang in there. He's he's setting itself up so he can say, I tried to save it, and now I'm going on to... Shiba Uno. I mean, I... He could could buy something else. He could buy Gab. Gab is trying to get sold to him. That's, by the way, they offered up an investment. They're, they're going to run out the clock on the guy. And specifically, they're going to run out his attention span, which is a 24-second a clock. Well, we'll see. I know. I, I get it. I'm, I, you and I are at different points, and I think Bill's going to provide it, a different viewpoint than me. Also, what happens, he has not outlined a single cogent strategy yeah, for he's how he's going that. to actually increase value. Other activists have done that including you, including Chris Saka, if you remember, they had very serious, like, proposals to do so that. So you're asking the employees, if this thing mm-hmm. close, closes, to sign up for mm-hmm. some Fox News misconstrued perversion of what censorship is or isn't from a new owner who says he doesn't care about money. And it's like, well, I'm supposed to sign up for your misadventures in free speech, and you said I'm not. Yeah. I, it's not about money. What, come again? Yeah, yeah. This is now. What are the odds? There's another bidder, like a Google and the rest. You know, obviously Mark Cuban talked about that. I have not. Heard, there's some private equity firms. I think it's Toma. Is that right, Toma? Toma Brava. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple that are sort of putting their feet in the water, and several ones I thought might gave me no comments this weekend. Not no fucking ways. Um, so it's interesting that they've got it. Like, I don't see another bidder. Who is the other bidder? Well, so this is the thing. I don't think somebody wants to take this private. I think what somebody does is come in and says, we think there's an opportunity here. Even at Mm -hmm. 45 bucks, you'd make someone could talk themselves into believing it's undervalued and says, we'll be a blocking move here. If we buy Mm -hmm. 10 or 12% of the company, we effectively, it's sort of game over. Vanguard doesn't go along with Twitter, with, uh, Musk. Mm -hmm. That means that there's, 22. I don't think he can raise the money, Kara. Let's We'll start there. Reddit's former CEO, Yashan Wong, who writes great threads, wrote a long thread yeah, about the challenges of content moderation. He's like, yep. you don't want this. You don't want to catch this car, dog. Um, and why Elon's free speech argument is all wrong. Essentially, he's like, this is an unmanageable situation, no matter how you slice it. And there's no way out of it and no way to make a lot of money. Of course, yeah. Elon tweeted his takeaway, we need long form tweets, which we do, by the way. He's good on yep. the edit stuff, for sure. Um, I thought that was a very thoughtful uh, – besi- whether you can get it or not is one question. Whether you can run it or not is another one, of course. Yeah, but uh, that's that's manicuring. That's not, mm-hmm. a, that's not a fundamental change in business model. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just think the employees – Twitter would become the most – would be the most fertile hunting ground for recruiters in the last 10 years if this thing were to close under Musk's leadership. 
I think a third of senior level management would be out of there within 90 days. All right. They're, they're not going to sign up. He hasn't been able to articulate anything resembling yeah. a vision for how anyone there is going to make any money. Would you leave? I don't think I would. I, I, I thought about this. Would you leave this service? Oh, no. I, I would. I'm addicted. I, that's yeah. like saying I don't like my new heroin dealer. I'm still buying heroin. Okay. Um, another thing is Elon has a lot of lawsuits on all fronts, too. He's being sued. Now, this is nothing new to him. He's been sued a lot. He's being sued by Twitter investors over his delayed disclosure. Those are the same investors he'll need to win over now if he wants the bid to succeed. Um, he might have to settle with them. Tesla investors are suing him over his 2018 funding secured stunt. The judge ruled this month that those tweets were false and paved the way for a trial next month. And earlier this year, of course, California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing sued Tesla, uh, alleging um, racist treatment of black employees. Um, that particular department is also controversial, but nonetheless, that the, Tesla has said this was in the past and they fixed all the things. Um, and uh, and so, uh, so, so anyway, um, so that's where we are. Um, so well, worth, again, I'll just just interject ahead. here. It's worse okay. than that. Did you see the TED talk at Vancouver that he just yes. gave? Yeah, he called mm -hmm. the SEC bastards. He does that. Claims, he did that at Code. What did he call them at Code? He has a name for SEC. But go ahead. This is something nothing new. Okay, called them bastards. But worse than that, he said he said mm -hmm. that he in fact did have funding secured, and the SEC bullied him into saying that he hadn't when he in fact had funding secured. And then just a few hours later, news broke. A district judge who has reviewed all the evidence goes, no, he was lying. Mm. So I think this is an individual who is so <laughs> detached from any sort of signals or advice or has no guardrails mm -hmm. that he not only, quite frankly, is prone to, to, to falsehoods, he doubles down on them in the face of judges saying there's no evidence mm -hmm. here that you had funding secured. Yeah. He yeah. could have just sort of politely walked back and said, not brought it up again. Instead, yeah. he's saying, no, I had funding secured. No, he didn't. Yeah. He did so not. Let, let me ask you a question because I got a lot of texts like this. Why yeah. is Scott so mad at Elon? You, you, you saw some of them on Twitter. Like, and I'm like, he's yeah. not. He just doesn't agree with them. That's like, what's the deal? They, he's definitely got – one of the things I hate about this is – I was going to tweet this because Glenn Greenwald had another asinine thing saying everybody who's against this wants to control all speech on all these issues. And I'm like, oh, stop what? it. And then, then I got another one saying – Elon is a fascist. We don't know if he's going to be a fascist. I'm like, I, I don't, mm. he's not. Like, what are you doing? Like, mm. so both mm. sides of this on either of the strong sides, you're all assholes. You're all fucking assholes. This is much more complex. And so I think one of the things that, that I did get that I was also pushing back on was Scott doesn't, has a personal vendetta against you. I'm like, no, he doesn't. This is just, Elon's I not a fascist. A, and Scott a does not have a personal agenda. I own a Tesla. I have huge admiration for him. Huge, there is yeah. something about, this that this situation epitomizes that really bothers me and scares me. And that is, I think the fundamental, the, ele the elemental foundation of societies is relationships. And mm -hmm. I think one of the key components of relationships is guardrails. And I just think we're all so much better when we have somebody who is making sure we make some trains and miss others that says to us, no, you're not thinking correctly. And I think yeah. there are so many levels. The tribe, we're, we're a herd species, not only because we need touch, but because we make much better decisions when we have other people and other agencies to provide guardrails. And let's look at the traditional guardrails. There's regulatory agencies. There's economics. So I just can't afford to do that. Mm -hmm. There's a board. There's mm -hmm. your partner slash wife slash yeah. husband. There are your inability to just go out and 
buy an entire media company that's global. We haven't had that kind of wealth amassed before. All of these guardrails, Kara, whether it's the SEC, other shareholders, a wife, friends, a board, they have all been blown by. And I think it's dangerous. And I think the founding fathers of America, when they came up with three three different houses of government, I think they realized the importance of guardrails and churns and making sure that no one individual became too powerful. That's great. But I think people overstating how powerful Twitter is, they're like, this is the end of... I was like, stop it. It's it's one... No, it's not a national treasure. It's not... But it it, it does have a lot of influence. I do think... Did you read Shoshana... Actually, did you read Shoshana Zuboff's article in the Washington Post? No, I will. No, I will. I will. She has a good point. She says mm-hmm. this, this, these algorithms under the control mm-hmm. of one person, there's only one case study, and it's Mark Zuckerberg, and that did not end well. I think they're very different people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that, that I would suspect this will be run a lot better under him. But nonetheless, I'm not an apologist for him at the same time. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. We're going to actually get an expert on here, too. We'll, Bill Cohen in a second. But just so mm-hmm. you know, 420 is tomorrow. Um, enjoy yourselves. Both Elon on the board have been slipping these 420 jokes in their filings. And mm-hmm. also SNL had fun with the news this weekend. Let's uh, listen to that for a second. Elon Musk offered to buy Twitter for over $40 billion so he can loosen its free speech rules. That's how badly white guys want to use the N-word. <laughs> Plus, I gotta say, Twitter's not yeah. even profitable anymore. It just feels like a bad business decision. And I say that as someone who bought a Staten Island ferry with Pete. Well, that kind of encapsulated it, right? Yeah. There, there it was, the bad business decision white guys who want to say whatever they want. Although I cannot tell you how many of those there are. Every meeting I have now uh, with a white guy or a powerful white guy is like, you know, I can't say what I want. And I'm like, oh God, you're so fucking tiresome. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they're tiresome. I don't care if you can't say what you want. And I, and it's not about the, the, the whole wrapping it in the free speech first amendment thing is excessive as is the idea that this guy is going to somehow blow up the entire world. There are other people actually blowing up the entire world. That's my only point. I think that's they, fair, but I just can't, I'd flip on Fox and they're all there just with their hair mm-hmm. on fire that thinking or saying he's the William Wallace coming in to say free speech. And I'm like, oh. free speech? What What can that's people not say on, on Twitter? What? What? He hates them. So you not allowing Elizabeth Warren to respond in real time on your front screen? Are you censoring her? I just I can't get over this whole censorship. That's false flag. they're driving me crazy. And the other part is some of the people who know better. They're like, in them not accepting this immediately, they are showing this. I was like, no, this is how deals work, people. What are you doing? You never just say, okay, th- thanks for this. Yeah, this is great. I'll take the first offer. Can we help you raise money? There were like 10 people who know better who've done deals like this. And they're like, they need to accept it immediately. I'm like, are you kidding me? You greedy fucks. That's what I kept thinking. Like, are you crazy? Like, nobody accepts the first offer. You know, they well, hope here's, they do. Here's, who's, here's what's behind those people trying to promote mm-hmm. the deal. Yeah. Merge Arb is an entire category investing where you take mm-hmm. the offer price of fifty four fifty and you buy okay. shares and you bet on the fact that the deal's going to go through. And right now, it's even with the stock up a little bit today, the mm-hmm. stated price is 20% above where the yeah. stock is right now. So there's probably a lot of people taking a position in the stock and then will very publicly advocate to get their 20% yeah. two-week gain, which is an enormous gain. And here's the thing. I just don't, I don't, I th- I believe the board mm-hmm. and a lot of shareholders would believe that if you sell at the 52-week average, 
and less than where it was four or five months ago, you're you're not acting as good fiduciaries. So the other the X factor here, and I'm still I, I'm still holding on here. I do mm-hmm. believe in government. I think the SEC is going to pop up here. We'll I think they're see. working very hard oh God, to show up for them. and have a view here. They're like Godot in this. In any case, we have someone <laughs> to to talk. Anybody that was a really good uh, literature. Uh, very good. Very good. Speaking, for speaking of white. Oh my God! Hello, Georgetown medalist. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. All right, Christ. Scott. I'm not apologizing for my incredible education. I had an incredible education, but mm-hmm. let's bring in someone who actually knows how this works. Bill Cohen from Puck News is really good on this stuff and has been writing for lots of places. I've been reading him for years on all kinds of companies. Bill, welcome to Pivot. Thank you, Kara. It's great to be here. An honor, in fact. So your latest piece, you argue, contrary to popular belief, Elon's bid is serious and it will likely succeed. So that's a conversation starter. Got me thinking, and you and I have been going back and forth on Twitter. It's actually moved me more to your side. I'm, I'm sort of in the middle, but I do think he's serious. So talk about why you think Elon's bid could work. And given all the things that's going against it, uh, his offers below the 52-week high, the board is lined up against him. He said publicly doesn't care about Twitter's economics, which could scare off potential partners, although I've heard a lot of people want to get together with him. So let's get your uh, overview and explain what you, argument you were making. Uh, look, well, first, I think it's important to say that, you know, what Scott has said last week, I mean, the, you know, and you probably know better than anyone, Kara, uh, is he, he is a bit of a flake. So it's not mm-hmm. exactly clear He's he's the world's richest flake, you know. It's incredible. He's he's worth you know obviously two hundred seventy five billion dollars. He could do this if he wanted to, but he's also a flake. So I'm not sure exactly what he has in mind here. But to me, it all comes down to proving out that he has the financing. That's mm-hmm. it. Uh, if he can prove, I mean, I can't believe that Morgan Stanley. Uh, and Scott worked there. I can't believe that Morgan Stanley and I worked at J.B. Morgan Chase, uh, Lazard, and Merrill Lynch. I can't believe that Morgan Stanley would take this assignment without knowing in right. advance or be have be highly confident, as we used to say in the old days, that uh, Elon Musk could raise the capital that he needs for this forty three billion dollar uh, deal. And if he mm-hmm. can show Morgan Stanley and then Goldman Sachs that he has this financing, I think this thing's over. When I was talking to some of these possible partners to this weekend, every single one of them, they called me. Is he crazy? Was the question that every, you know him. Is he yeah. crazy? Is he serious? And it was a really interesting thing because that was the opening question of some very smart people who usually could would like run right over their mother to get whatever they wanted. So um, I think I was really... Um, I think that was their worry, which was interesting to me. I, again, I don't know whether he's serious. I don't know whether he's crazy. But look, the guy's accomplished a lot. I mean, you can't yes. argue with the fact that he's the world's richest man. He's created Tesla. He single-handedly revived the electric vehicle industry that was 100 years old and dormant for 98 mm-hmm. of those years. Uh, he's SpaceX is an amazing accomplishment. I, I don't really know what the boring company is all about. Uh, you know, but does he do some crazy things? Yes. Taking Twitter, you know, taking Tesla private at 420, that whole thing, funding fully secured. That has really hurt his credibility on Wall Street, by the way, because everybody knew mm-hmm. back then that that was a joke and or whatever it was. It was not real and nobody took it real. Uh, and I think that 
definitely hurting his credibility. The merger with Solar City, also between Tesla and Solar City, basically made no sense except to bail out a bunch of uh, friends and family investors. And so that made no sense. So he, he does lack credibility on Wall Street. On the other hand, you know, the stock has done very well. He's the world's richest guy. He, you know, uh, owns 9.1% of Twitter. He put up $2.6 billion of his own money. All that's real. Uh, first off, Bill and I are friends, and mm-hmm. I'm glad. Uh, so I just want to acknowledge that whenever we're on different sides of an issue, you'd be best served to kind of go go with that the guy with the good hair. Uh, so, Bill, <laughs> good, always good to see you. Um, and you, Scott. Uh, but we are on different sides of this issue. So my sense is, and maybe I'm missing something here, but even this guy worth $240 billion, most of that comes from Tesla stock. And whoever, I don't see how he raises the money without borrowing a lot of money against his Tesla stock. And a Tesla analyst says, it's, there's a scenario where if the stock went up fivefold, it can go down 80% and we got to start doing margin calls on this guy. I think this ultimately puts pressure, even if he could come up with the money, on Tesla stock. And right now, I know Morgan Stanley is out there calling everyone that sits on multi-billions of dollars. And the the, the conditions that lenders are going to put on this, one, I'm not sure he can raise the money. And two, doesn't it ultimately end up being nothing but downside for Tesla shareholders? And that's OPM, other people's money. That's what he's asking about. But go ahead, Bill. Look, again, it comes all back to whether he can finance this one way or the other. And Mm -hmm. um, he's put it, you know, he only needs 40 of the 43, right? I I can't decipher what of his Tesla stock is available to be margined or borrowed against or any Mm -hmm. of those things. I absolutely agree with you 100%, Scott, that this, if he starts leveraging up or or margining all of his Tesla stock or more, more of his Tesla stock, to the point where, um, you know, lenders are going to, well, it's really going to be the Tesla board that's going to say, no way. <laughs> they have a board, Bill? They have a board? Well, theoretically, they have a board. They, they right, never say right. no way. Right. They never say no. Um, if he wants to risk everything he has built at Tesla and the, all the wealth that he has created at Tesla, through Tesla, for Twitter, to buy Twitter, I suspect mm-hmm. he can do that. Why he would hmm. do that, I have no idea. Yeah. All right. So you wrote your piece before the board issued the poison pill. Can you talk about your thoughts on this use of it? And has that changed your prediction? Or is it just takes longer and he's got a... Um... Poison pill is a, a mere hurdle on the mm-hmm. on the road to a deal. You know, every hostile deal ends up turning friendly if it gets done. So the fact mm-hmm. that it starts off... Hostile, and I know last mm-hmm. week Scott said, uh, you know, he's saying this is his final and best offer, and who does that? Nobody negotiates that way. Yeah, so what? He says it in, in an SEC filing, it's his final and best offer. It's not his final and best offer if he really wants this company. Now, if he's trying to pump and dump, then maybe it is his final, um, final and best offer. I don't know why he would pump and dump for an extra $700 million when he's got $275 billion that doesn't seem very interesting, but okay, it's a win. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, at some point, again, it just comes, again, what I, Goldman Sachs has to do three things. Goldman Sachs that represents Twitter. One, they mm-hmm. have to find somebody else, anybody else, but 
uh, Elon Musk to buy this company. I don't think they're going to, number one. They have to decide whether $54.20 a share is fair. I don't see how any way in the world they do not find that this is fair from a financial point of view to Twitter shareholders. So that's number two. That's two things in uh, Elon's favor. The one thing not in Elon's favor, and it's a big thing, is, is his financing real? Okay, can he attract enough odd billionaires, uh, you know, Silver Lakes, uh, you know, whoever else might be uh, willing to finance this and giving them some sort of preferred return to put equity in here? Can he get enough of that? Can he go to SoftBank? Can he go to, you know, the Saudi Arabia uh principal investing fund. Who knows? Norway. I don't know who his friends are or where he's going to get this money. He does need to get this money. If he proves this is real, if Morgan Stanley can can tell Goldman Sachs this is real, I think it's game, set, match over. Can you talk, you mentioned Silver Lake, which is on the board of uh, Twitter. Uh, Egon Durbin, uh, who's the co-CEO, is on the board of Twitter. He voted for the poison pill, which was just a slowing tactic, really, pretty much from what just I can a understand for, for you from reading you. Um, what? How does that play in that Egan just says, I'm going with, with Elon or what, what happens there? I mean, first of all, I think it's important to note that basically the board of directors of Twitter owns essentially no stock except for Jack Dorsey, who owns like 2.5%. So you look at the big shareholders, Vanguard, uh, BlackRock. Morgan Stanley Asset Management, Elon Musk, those three asset management companies, they're all going to go for Elon Musk's $54.20 a share if it's real. Uh, Egon Durbin, uh, you know, he's a private equity guy. He'll take this money and run so quickly and and ka-ching it and say that he's got this win. I mean, when did he make this investment? A year ago? That's a beautiful IRR. So he'll just use that to fundraise off the next thing. So did, why did he go along with it? This is easy. This is sleeves off the vest. This is nothing. I don't think there's ever been a case where an actual poison pill that was put in place was actually invoked. In other words, giving shareholders a chance to buy stock at a discount. I don't think that's ever happened. It's just a way for uh, uh, the board to get uh, this guy's attention and to slow him down a little bit and force him to negotiate with the board, who, by the way, owns no stock. So let's assume he can secure the funding, which I don't think he can, but just for the purposes of argument, let's assume that he can and Morgan Stanley shows up with the capital. I actually don't agree. I don't. I think the board would be well within their rights to use the term fair price. I think fair is almost a useless wor- word in the, in, in, in the realm of M&A. If I'm on the board and um, – the, our stock was at this level in October. It's been as high as 76. I think they would be well within their rights to say this offer drastically undervalues uh, Twitter, and we're going to keep plowing forward. Now, if he were to raise it to 60 or 65 and get within striking distance of the 52-week high or the five-year high, fine. But this this offer right now, Bill, is just at the 52-week average, and the company has only gained an influence. I think it'd be well within the rights to say you're dramatically undervaluing the firm. We can only sell it once, and we're rejecting this out of hand. I agree with some of that, but not all of that. Um, I've given a lot of fairness opinions. I know what mm-hmm. doing those is like. Again, without the financing being real and firmed up, I completely agree with yep. you. This this gets rejected out of hand. Goldman Sachs can just keep saying no. The board can say no. Uh, but the moment this financing becomes real, and I don't know if it ever will mm-hmm. become real, 
at that moment, then Goldman Sachs has going to have a very difficult time saying this is not fair. Why? First of all, on a good day, the EBITDA of Twitter is a billion dollars a year. On a good day. So this mm -hmm. is 45 times EBITDA. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you can DCF cash flows all day long and not get to... Explain what that is. Explain discounted that is. cash flow. You know, mm -hmm. you project out the EBITDA of this company. You discount it back. You know, if it gets to... It'll, 43 billion will absolutely be in the range of that discounted cash flows bars on the PowerPoint presentation. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the uh, publicly traded comparables will be in the range. The privately traded uh, companies, the multiples will be in the range. So uh, I don't see how, and yes, you know, so yes, it is below uh, its 52 week high of last year. So is the whole market. So yeah. uh, is is below is down from last November, uh, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, you know, Rivian, you know, went public at whatever it was seventy five. It went up to one hundred and seventy five. Now it's at forty. So yeah. the market is is correcting. Interest rates are on the rise dramatically. The party is over. The punch bowl is being taken away. So if I'm Goldman Sachs and I have to prove that this thing is fair and say it's fair. You're going to be mm -hmm. hard pressed if the financing is real to yeah. to say it's not fair. In the old days, so by now we would have a letter from Mike Milken saying, you know, I'm highly confident that mm -hmm. Elon Musk could have the financing, and that would do that would win it. What if he wins it? So what does this have? Does he? You're talking about not a very good business, is what I think you said. Very, it's like not a very good business is never, but it's influential, right? As Scott has often pointed out, um, I have spent a lot of time all the weekend where everyone's like, you know, this is the end of the world. I'm like, it's not a very good business. Like, it's going to be hard running it. It's going to be hard. It's, and also, Yashan from Reddit had a nice tweet, tweet a, a series of tweets about that. I mean, what does he get when he gets this? What does he does he have a, a debt loaded company with all kinds of problems. Like I, that's what it sounds like to me. Like, yeah, it sounds like to me like a poison chalice. Oh, uh, you know, poison uh, chalice. It, I like that. Know, Explain <laughs> for the people. He's going to have a company that has a lot of debt on it that doesn't generate a lot of EBITDA. Um, no, he could. He's Elon Musk, the world's richest man. He could pump more equity into it somehow if he's got any left. Um, but more importantly, you know, if he does any of the things that he's talking about doing. For instance, if he cuts out advertising, then that EBITDA is going to disappear, or a lot of it. Uh, mm -hmm. If he brings back Donald Trump, uh, you know, forget about it, as we say in New York. I mean, he could lose two-thirds of the users very quickly, and then he's the king of nothing. He's paid $43 billion for something he just has to fold up and close, and it's a disaster. And maybe he doesn't care because he's the world's richest guy. But by that point, he will have margined and leveraged his Tesla stock. And, you know, it could be a total house of cards. Well, if you were advising him, what else should he buy then? If he, want, if he has an itch for this kind of thing, obviously he has an itch for Twitter. He loves it. But is there, should he invest in Gab or they ask for money from him? I mean, I, I wouldn't, I would not have done any of this if I were uh, Elon. He, he had tremendous, or I would just stick at my 9.1% and, you know, see what happens. He has tremendous influence on Twitter without owning the company. He's got 81 million followers. He doesn't need to do any of this. But, you know, you know him better than than we do. Uh, I mean, he's obviously has an insatiable desire to be it. the focus of attention. So, Yeah. And also, he actually, I think he probably has sat up nights 
smoking the weed and thinking about what he could do to fix this, right? Like that, I, I just smoking do. the I, weed. You're so down with the young people. Smoking the weed, th- like the kids do. For shizzle, Kara. For shizzle. The 420. <laughs> Fellow kids. Well, what do you what do you think the role is, or is there a role for a white knight here? Somebody who comes in and says, "Hey, Twitter board, we'll take 10 percent," and basically be a blocking move. Is there a white knight here? I mean, I don't know if 10% is the blocking move, but sure. Yep. If, what is? 51% or, <laughs> you know, would be for sure would be the blocking move, move. There's certainly a role for a savior here, an old-fashioned white knight. But it's $43 billion. It's 43 times EBITDA. None of the private equity guys are going to play in this. I don't, you know, Brava, Gold, Brava, Brava Toma all day long can talk about this, but... 43 times EBITDA, and that's on a good day. You need, you know, you need Google or... Uh, Microsoft. Uh, or Apple or Microsoft to buy to come to the table. What about Salesforce? Well, S- Salesforce maybe, yeah, sure. But I mean, I don't really see it. Actually, but just uh, some nuance here, and that's a really interesting idea. What if Benioff just comes in and Salesforce comes in and buys 10% in a Vanguard? I got a bunch of calls over the weekend for people asking for thoughts around Twitter and Elon and its value. And I couldn't figure out whether they were lining up behind Elon or against him to block him. And I don't, I disagree. I don't think it's 51%. I think Mark Benioff could come in and say, do the math and say, if Vanguard's not with with Musk, I'll come in at 10%, and it's basically game over because they're, they're not going to get to 50%. Only 80% shows up at a special meeting, meaning you need 40%. And if there are 20 of this, I, I don't think a blocking move requires much more than kind of low double digits. And then Benioff gets to keep it out of the hands of Musk and see if he wants it at some point and gets to act like the hero and say He likes that. This, he does like that. This That's should be this should be a company with diverse sets of owners and a real board and it should should assign itself and acquit itself of more democratic input and good governance. And I'm going to be part of that. And then maybe we'll swing back in a year or two years and talk about doing a transaction. And he looks like the the white knight. I, 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 your thoughts, Bill? Do you think that could happen? I think there's plenty of room for a white knight here. I, the only premise that I don't agree with is I, I think Vanguard – why would Vanguard stick around for this if they can get 54, 20 in cash? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they the represent bid. retail – Investors who this is a thirty-eight percent premium to what it was trading at before he announced. This Do you know their cost basis? I guess that's a question. What do they get in? Well, I don't. I don't know Vanguard's uh, cost basis, but because if they've gotten in in the last five months, they're down. I mean, if they've got if they haven't gotten in in the last five mm-hmm. months, excuse me, they're down. Yeah, I mean, but either way, fifty-four twenty in cash is real and a nice right. premium, and you can have a victory lap. And it's not only Vanguard; it's it's BlackRock. It's this Morgan Stanley asset management business, mm-hmm. which, which owns is going to be with Musk. Which is going to be so, with Musk. So I would say that ten plus six plus eight, what's that? Twenty-four mm-hmm. is going to be with Musk pretty quickly. Yeah, because that's retail investors. They're not going to stick around and. So you think Denny you're off. still sticking with your with your guns on that one? Okay. If, if the financing is real, only and only yeah. if so, the financing is real. Is there any important business stories the world's missed in the last two weeks? Because everything is Elon. That's a great question. That's a great question. Yes, of course there there is. There, of course there is. 
Pick one. Well, the most important business story out there now is the end of quantitative easing, the end mm. of the Fed-subsidized free cost of money. That is, I mean, look at what's gone on in the high-yield market uh, in the, since the beginning of the year. But since, talk about 52-week highs or lows, in last September, right around the time that uh, Twitter was reaching its 52-week high and every other company was, the yield on the high yield, the average yield on a high yield bond was below 4%, which was, of course, absurd because back in the days of Mike Milken, it was 10%, 11%, mm-hmm. 12%, plus warrants, plus warrants, right, Scott? Mm-hmm. And then now it's back up to about 650. So it's, it's gone up still 50%. Cheap. Still yeah. cheap. St- I mean, still interest rates are still below where they need to be. So that yield curve is moving up and that's going to cause a tremendous amount of pain in the bond market, which is four or five times the size of the stock market. Bill, you've dealt with boards. What I found most interesting that came out just in the last 30 minutes or or came out over the weekend was Jack Dorsey, who is set to leave the board, but is still on the board, came out and said something that violates what I call the code of the white guy. And that is board members never publicly come out against each other that I almost ever, I, that, uh, you just don't see that very, very often. Mm-hmm. And he wrote, Twitter board consistently been the dysfunction of the company. And it just struck me that a guy mm. sitting on the board, what I think this means is that he was fired. I don't, I don't care. I've always said that as soon as Elliot showed up, they said, okay, this can be your idea, but you're out of here. But for a st- sitting board member to say that the board he's has consistently been the problem, he's clearly siding with Elon. Do you think he could be— This is not a surprise, Scott. Do you Earth think House. maybe—I mean, there's there's just so many fun scenarios here. Could he could Block come in and give 5 or $10 billion and say, I'm the new co-CEO again? Absolutely. He could team up with uh, Elon. He could—he's got 2.25 percent— the company, right. he could, you know, vote that with Elon. I'm telling you, if Elon can firm up the financing, yeah. and if Morgan Stanley can convey that to Goldman Sachs, I think it's over. But that's a big if, because as you correctly point out, Scott, there's huge risk to Tesla for Elon Musk leveraging up or margining his remaining Tesla stock that's not already a pledge to some loan or other. Well, this is a this is a developing story. We got to get going, unfortunately. But Bill, should we start a subscription newsletter at uh, Pivot? How's Puck doing? You enjoying yourself? I think I think you know you, if you get the right talent, Kara. You know about talent. that's the hard part. I yeah. know. that's I'm, the hard part. I'm the dragging talent. this. I'm dragging this codfish around everywhere I go. <laughs> Keeping up with you two is very hard work. Uh, and and Scott had a great cameo in uh, or the the yeah. fake Scott had a great cameo in We Crashed. Go he's, on. My new, he's my new partner. Kelly, Kelly O'Coin. Bill, thank you so much. We'll be back with you soon. You're fantastic. Thank you, guys. Congrats on Puck, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you both for having me. All right, Scott. He is so smart, isn't he? Yes, yeah. I, I, I like Bill. He's also a really nice man. Yeah, he is. He's always he's written some of the best things I've uh, that Vanity Fair used to do. Everything. He's just really good. I like that he's shifted over to Puck. Um, boy, are they getting some really great stuff out there. Um, when we come back, though, we'll talk about CNN Plu and we'll make some quick predictions. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, Scott, we're back. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times for streaming media market. The tale of two companies, Discovery and Warner Media, has raised new questions about the industry. Will Disney finally buy out its partners at Hulu? Will Discovery fold everything into HBO Max? And of course, what will happen to CNN Blue? Because all I care about is you. Um, oh, do you? Do you mean Yes, that? I do. But, Thank you know, you. just just as we, we started this this morning, speaking mm-hmm. of quick tweets, Chris Licht, who's running CNN, pushed himself off of Twitter. He's like, I'm sick. I'm out of this pop stand because it's probably because he's making a point that it controls too much of the news narrative. Um, on probably on CNN, he's saying something very significant, I think, there. So tell me, Scott, I'm just gonna let you talk about, um, uh, uh it was launched to get ahead of the merger mm-hmm. and, uh, it's gonna be folded in any way by Mr. Zasloff, who was interviewed by Oprah Winfrey, uh, this weekend, their old friend. So it was a really tough interview, as you might imagine. So she didn't ask these questions. So I'm asking you. There's a lot of play here, uh, but generally speaking, you have an art form or a medium or a channel, whatever you want to call it, that's over-invested. $140 billion is going into streaming. There just aren't enough credit cards to support that. So you're going to see consolidation. Mm-hmm. As as it relates to CNN+, Plus, you've read the same stuff I have, and that mm-hmm. is downloads, they say of the app, have been really anemic or have not met expectations. I don't know how much truth that is. Or I don't know if that's true or not. If it was what doing do, really well, they'd release the numbers. You know that. You got that, right? Yeah. They would put out they would they would counter it. They would with, make you dress up in some fashion and, and or, be on the Or would they make me or would they make me undress Kara? <laughs> no, no. But you would be on the corner <laughs> Dad in get another Times three Square downloads. with a big swirling sign talking about it. But go ahead. But here's the thing. They have a lot I I wrote this I wrote a piece on this in No Mercy No Malice. It is very difficult to start a streaming network when you're not all in. And that is, I think that the only way this works as a standalone streaming network is if at the end of every program, Anderson Cooper or Fareed Zakaria says, if you want to see this without commercials, it starts 10 minutes late and it's on CNN Plus or slowly but surely they start to put their best programming behind a wall. It is very hard. There hasn't been a streaming network started that's work that's been an adjunct to anything that hasn't been all in. Now, having said that, I think the potential for CNN Plus and what I've told my team is mm-hmm. that if you make a great show, um, it doesn't – the distribution will find you. Yeah. And that is yeah. you could see CNN Plus becoming the R&D lab for Turner, Warner, Discovery, HBO Max – the program, if it's good, if the content, if it's good, will find distribution. And another interesting observation is that if you look at, for example, uh, uh, my program, No Mr. Malice, it's always 21 minutes. And why do you think they've decided to have it be 21 minutes? I don't know. Please tell me. Because should they decide to put it on an ad-supported channel, it'll be ah, exactly 30 with nine minutes of ads telling you you have restless legs or opioid-induced yeah. constipation. Do you? So that is clearly their plan B. They're setting everything up such that if this streaming thing doesn't work on CNN+, Plus, they can either go to other subscription, HBO, or they can put it on ad-supported, and maybe that's their little R&D lab. But you're going to see consolidation. I'm sorry, go ahead, Karen. Listen, here's the problem. I've been using it again this thing because I watch you, you know, and um, I got to say, I don't don't necessarily want to hear... Anderson Cooper talking about parenthood or Jake Tapper talking about books. And I think they're both really Don't smart. say that about Anderson. I know. But don't I say don't, that about Anderson. He's dreamy and he's a good father. That's great. That's great. It's just, it, it's like least effort here in terms of, I think your show still remains one of the best and the old Larry King lives because I like to watch a dead guy. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it, I think it's pro- that's what's popular on that, which is really interesting. Um, we'll see. I, I agree with you. Good content always finds a way out. And what, I like what you're making. Um, the other stuff, I, I, I can't point to something that I love on that thing. But you know what else has really hurt it, what? Tara? What? The bottom line is um, the two people running it, Andrew Morris and Rebecca Cutler, are both mm-hmm. super talented Fantastic. executives. Fantastic. But you know what? You know what's probably to some extent didn't sink it, but dramatically increased the infant mortality or the opportunity for sudden, mm-hmm. you know, infant death syndrome here. Is they lost their cloud cover when they fired Jeff Zucker? Yeah. Jeff Zucker has the gravitas with Zasloff. Yeah. Yeah. He has yeah. the gravitas, the leadership, and he has the authority to walk into Zasloff's office and, and say, okay, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. This is how we're fixing it. And hands off of it. We're going to keep going for this for two years. So, yeah. were they, was it, uh, you know, they real, I think, quite frankly, dad's not home. I yeah. mean, is the way I would describe it. We don't have any. We don't have any cloud cover. And yeah, and Zaslav's got enough things to do, including having lunch with Steven Spielberg and Oprah, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I agree. And they're big cost cutters at Discovery. They're tough mothers, as I recall. Is that right? And, and that's, yes, they are. They're real good at it. And you, you can make fun of them as cheapsters, but you know what? They know how to run a beeswax. So Netflix, Disney, Warner Brothers, Comcast, and Paramount Global Girl, 70% of the audience demand. This is all these different brands. Consolidation is happening individually 100%. at these places and all over 100%. the place. You'll see deals yeah. aplenty, I yeah. think. Yeah, people are going to have to bulk up and, bulk and cut up. costs. Like I said, they got to be bigger. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, let's see what's else in the news this week very briefly. Um, uh, staff at App, tell me what you like. I'm going to list them, and I think we'll know which one we want in a second. Mm-hmm. Staff at Apple's flagship store in Grand Central are collecting signatures to form a union. The organizers voted to affiliate with Workers United. According to the uh, Washington Post, organizers say Apple has made efforts for months to convince employees unionizing is a bad idea, including giving them fancy new T-shirts. No, I'm teasing. Complaints include Apple's pay, not keeping up with inflation, and inability to hold managers accountable. A lot of people who work at Apple stores are pretty happy. When I talk to them, they may be lying, mm-hmm. but they seem happier than most. But still, unionization. And then your other choice to talk about is Tucker Carlson's new documentary, which is raising eyebrows and other things. Trailer for The End of Men features shirtless men wrestling, chopping wood, a new man who appears to be tanning his testicles. Hard iron sharpens iron, as they say, and those hard times inevitably produce men who are tough, men who are resourceful, men who are strong enough to survive. Pick one. Unionization at Apple or ball tanning? Oh, this is this is easy. This is easy. The Tucker okay. Carlson take on masculinity. By the way, my episode this yeah. week on no Mercy, No Malice, dropping Tuesday morning is on masculinity, and oh. I watched the opening scene for that. And all I can tell you is, as a, as a man, yeah. I have never so badly, I have never so badly wanted to fuck other men as yes, when I watched. Yes, that's what a lot of straight men said. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. I, I'm literally, I'm ready, like, let's get down. Nothing, nothing screams <laughs> masculinity, men. like the bow ties and homoerotica that Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Did crazy. you see that thing? I thought I it was did, like I did. It was like Grinder meets Quentin Tarantino meets know. Cinemax. There were so many straight men who said, "Now I'm gay." I just can't. It's literally like you, okay, maybe maybe it's time to give it a whirl. Maybe yeah. it's time to give it a whirl. I mean, they yeah. literally. <laughs> they, it, I thought it was a parody. Have you seen it? I have not. I just, I just, it's just <laughs> you too much fun to make see fun. it. It's. I saw the video. It's very. I've seen enough gay video. I live in the Castro. My goodness, I can just go down the street right now and enjoy my myself some. IRL, such things. In any case, um, uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm in. I mean, you know, 
The guy, I did an interview with Tony Kushner today about don't say gay and stuff like that. And his husband, I believe it was his husband, said, I'm a gay man who's sitting with my gay husband working on my gay book. And I'm not as gay as Tucker Carlson's. I couldn't get over it. It was it was like, okay, Tucker, are you going to do a Are you going to do a documentary on what it what it means to have a wide stance in public bathrooms and in airports? It just it's so kind of oddly, strangely. Men are ending, but they're not. I've just had, I have three I of them. Just didn't get I'm it. raising, so they don't seem ending to me. Um, do you have any comments about Apple's flagship store? In light of this, we have some other things to discuss. I don't. Nothing. I don't. I don't know. I think there'll be some very well publicized examples of union victories yeah. where they sign up ten, twelve, or dozens of people. Yeah. And I think it's the unions have been the the perfect okay. enemy for corporations who continue to suppress the wages of frontline workers. And uh, I think the market has stepped in here. I think Apple will pay up. Yeah, fine. I like the fact that for the first time, the market is stepping in, and I don't see any reason why the federal government couldn't move minimum wage to 20 bucks an hour over the course of the next three years. Yeah. Okay. A couple more things. Uh, Mm -hmm. Online shopping isn't as dominant post-pandemic. It's falling off. According to MasterCard data, online spending is down 3.3%, although it had a huge boom the first year-over-year decline since 2013. Brick-and-mortar spending was up. People liking to get out. Online store note Amazon fell by 1%, the first decline since the metric was disclosed. So this is not a surprise. People want to get out and about this weekend. Everyone was everywhere. That said, it's been a very secular move. People are very used to buying online now too. It's yeah, part but of the this misses, What this story misses is the nuance. And at Panera, what we found is over 50% of our orders begin digitally. So what is what is online? What is offline? And I do think that, that you've seen what I'll call a little bit of a sugar high for people who want to go out to the mall and get back into stores. But I think the same trends, mm-hmm. essentially pretty much every year since 99, the percentage of online retail has grown by 1% as a percentage of all retail. Yeah. And that continues. Now, whether we're going to, you know, obviously it's going to check back from from um, the pandemic, but I still think e-commerce marches yeah. on. Yep, agree. I think it's just whatever. I think people will do, but people are thrilled to be out. The stores were full. The restaurants yeah. were full. I'm thrilled. I've been to lots of restaurants. Getting COVID. <laughs> yeah, getting COVID. I still didn't get, me and the Golden Shot are the only people that aren't getting COVID. It's weird. Yeah, we, and yours truly. Really. It's the pivot I, I, yeah. It's the pivot vaccine. By the way, I got it's, my second booster. So did I. So okay. did I. Everybody nice. go out and get them. We're boosted. We and boosted. I didn't feel anything. I felt loopy on the first three. I didn't feel I did not feel bad one. at all. Yeah, I feel fine. Anyway, um, oh, it won't be for younger people. If you, you know, you, if you're older and you have issues, you definitely should get it. Otherwise, you talk to your doctor. Anyway, Alex Jones Infowars isn't just morally bankrupt. The company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection along with two other Alex Jones companies after several defamation suits, including his claim that Sandy Hook was a, a hoax. They had some him up for. He didn't show up at trials. I, we had Elizabeth uh, mm-hmm. Williamson on talking about this. The judge found Jones liable for damages to relatives of students and teachers killed in the massacre. A trial decide how much he owes him was set for August. Elizabeth had been talking about this, but he was on the hook, so this is not a surprise. He remains a fucker to do this, of course, because he mm-hmm. wants to get out of it um, and protect his his wealth from selling shitty vitamins. Um, Scott, any thoughts on this? No, look, we have we have corporations that create uh, legal legal protection between corporate assets and personal assets. I would hope that they would be able to create enough um, legal arguments around slander and defamation that they would be able to go after his personal assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what has gone on here is worse than being – I don't think he's crazy. I think he knew what he was doing, and I think he mm-hmm. was trading people's despair yeah. 
Yes. And uh, tr- I think it was I think it was arbitraging and prostituting tragedy and people's pain for economic gain. Yeah. And absolutely. It, and I think America that that's just not what America is about. And we have correctly hit back on on things like that. And I hope we continue to do that here. Yeah. Let me just say it also does send a signal though of having to go bankrupt is that it's not so don't don't go as far as Alex Jones. This is where it ends up. Uh, people do slap back, and now he's here. Nonetheless, you know, his involvement with January 6th, everything else, is just, this guy is a toxic waste dump of a person. And anything that can take money away from him is is thrilling. We'll see what happens here. He'll be protected, of course. Um, but it's really gross that he's doing this to these people who who, who he's caused so much enormous um, and incalculable pain. And whatever it takes to... to bring him low by them legally is fantastic. All right, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for predictions really quick. Support for Pivot comes from Hidden Layer. It seems like everywhere you look, industries are turning to generative AI. We talk about it a lot on this show. Businesses can generate more ideas, answers, connections, solutions, and momentum. But at the same time, security teams are forced to slow down that progress so they can make sure AI adoption is safe and responsible. Hidden Layer's AI detection and response platform secures generative AI and large language models from malicious attacks, leaking of confidential information, and intellectual property theft. Hidden Layer helps you generate more by enabling seamless, secure generative AI. Here's how it works. AI detection and response protects businesses from potential attacks by monitoring and analyzing the inputs and outputs of their generative AI applications, blocking harmful transactions and alerting security teams in real time, allowing organizations to accelerate their AI adoption with speed. Customers in finance, technology, healthcare, and even the U.S. Department of Defense trust Hidden Layer to protect their AI today. Plus, Hidden Layer was named Most Innovative Startup at RSA, the most significant cybersecurity conference in the nation. With Hidden Layer, go from pause to possibilities. Generate more with Hidden Layer. Visit hiddenlayer.com slash pivot to learn more about Hidden Layer's AI detection and response solution. All right, Scott, let's very quickly, some predictions really fast. Two players are going to merge in the Twitter battle. Uh, the okay. SEC and Salesforce. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. Okay. I, 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 I don't know, but that's an interesting thing to say. That is an interesting thing to say. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that. That's a really good one. This was a really good show. We and I'm taking human so. growth hormone oh. and um, <laughs> and clipping, and I'm in the next. I'm in season two of Tucker Carlson's homoerotica adventures. I'm <laughs> You'd in. like to be. Jesus. You'd like to be. I'm so excited for the gay Scott. I'm, I'm so like, happy. what is this strange feeling? What are these yeah. feelings? Who would you ask out first? Who would you ask out first? Oh, George Hahn. Jihan. Yeah, and Anderson I've Cooper. Talked about this. I love your wife. They get I do. it. They don't. They Let's don't see. have hangups around threesomes. Like just most of the women I've been with don't like the Mrs. idea Galloway. of a third person in it. I'm ready to mix it up a little bit. Okay. Well, Anderson Galloway. Cooper and George Hahn. Oh. Oh yeah. wow. Okay. That's my throuple. Right. The raconteur, AC, and the dog. And you will all be tanning your balls with Tucker Carlson. It's really a lovely scene. I love America. I love America. There you go. As always, we want your questions. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit your question for us or call 855-51-PIVOT. The link is also in our show notes. Okay, Scott, that is the long show. Uh, we'll be back on Friday for more. Uh, why don't you read us out? Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Jatot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Mil Silverio. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for a breakdown of all things tech and business. Kara, I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you, Scott. I will.